Daily. This is August 13th, 2023. Today's episode is titled Touching Asteroids. We're going to be doing a rundown <clears throat> real quick here. Crocodiles were worried or are <laughs> I messed this up. Crocodiles are worried or hungry. Uh, hack a satellite, get $50,000. No warnings of Hawaii fire were heard. Maryland man becomes nexus of chaos to the asteroid NASA. Newspaper gets raided by police. Indy, uh, sorry, India tree planting laboratory results. Professors go back to paper. Star Trek Strange New Worlds goes the original series. 3D printing roundup. German VW plant throws a party and Italian antiquities returned. Next on Hometown Daily. All right. So um, <clears throat> I had to make a bunch of changes to uh, the rig and things are a little... Uh, chaotic right now so if um the audio is sounding funny let me know in chat if you uh, show up in chat that would be great otherwise i'll find out and post my monitor is really loud but everything seems to be meters wise looking pretty good um i am mayor watt if you've been wondering who is doing all this talking and hasn't introduced themselves that is hometown.com and up there is the ai that keeps me in check Everything going okay? You want to introduce yourself? Everything's going great. Good evening, hometown citizens. Oh, hey, the meter's working great. Or the visualizer's working. So, um, let's get into today's articles. Man, my monitor's really hot. Like, painfully hot, and I don't know why. Let me, I'm going to turn it down quite a bit. No, it's still loud. I don't know what's going on. Okay, well, anyway, let's just get into today's show. I'll cope. Uh, the very first article, let's go. This very first article is over in Hometown Daily. Crocodiles were played the sound of humans. Um, uh, specifically, human babies crying. The higher the infant's distress level, the more the carnivores would respond. I titled this, were, were the crocodiles worried or hungry? Uh, Nile crocodiles react to the cries of infants from species like uh, bobinos, chimpanzees, and humans. <clears throat> the crocodiles also seem to detect uh distress in cries new research shows the responses may be predatory but could also show a maternal instinct i guess you'll have to ask them uh, i don't know um crocodiles are drawn to the sounds of crying babies new research suggests uh, let's see here Aliyah shoib is the uh, author over at businessinsider.com I don't know if I want that coming to my rescue. Do you think that could come to my rescue? It's hard to look at that and think it looks maternal. Oh, I, I sound a little quiet. Hello, crazy cat lady. I sound a little quiet, like right now, still. Uh, 
Hey, um, I guess I'm going to do it live. What the heck? Why not? So I'm not quite sure what it is that would um, be making. Like I have to turn my monitor down. Um, let me let me try something here. I will. OK, uh, it might be because I'm actually my mic is farther away than it ever has been in the past. Um, and I'm mainly doing that because um, I'm trying to get things rearranged so that my mic isn't being seen. Uh, but I just uh, increased the uh, the my um, microphone so it should be louder now. Um, but I am going to be a little bit quieter. I guess I could project a little more. <laughs> People know that I, I can project, that should be so an it's issue. not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. Okay, well, um, the AI is throwing me affirmative signals, but nobody else can tell that you're throwing the affirmative signals. Well, I know, but I said something, so I thought that was oh, clear, okay. but that's okay. Okay, here, hold on. Let me turn that up and that that down a little okay okay so i guess i should be a lot louder now um that said um let's describe this for the podcast um this is they've got a picture it's just a getty image but it's representative of a nile crocodile i suppose right because it, it says according to the national geographic um, it's possible that up to 200 people may die each year from altercations with nile crocodiles I've always wondered why the heck they are putting these random pictures into an article and the only context is like just barely it, it matches the way that I think because I I practice this thing called associative thinking where one thing is linked to another thing by something um, but for crying out loud in a news article this has nothing to do with the actual news article but I always give it a pass. Um, so, hey, uh, crazy cat lady, good to see you. Uh, let me know if uh, the mic sounds good now. Um, so what I had observed, or I should say, the what I thought would be the reason why they respond is this is nothing maternal. This isn't, you know, like a uh like a great ape uh running up to a crying baby and and going and trying to comfort it yeah i see you in me or me and you kind of a thing right we're both somewhat bipedal maybe drooling depending yeah, i mean if it's a baby that's that's quite possible if, they, <laughs> if they've got my genetics and really hairy um but anyway uh I just, I don't see this as maternal instinct at all. Um, but hey, you know. Well, I guess if, the question is, what do they do after they react? Do yeah, they chomp they... or do they cuddle? <laughs> <laughs> they cuddled. <laughs> really, really Although tightly. Being cuddled by a crocodile might not be very good. But... <laughs> With their teeth, yes. Right. <laughs> oh, man. 
second. Hold on. I got to turn this mic up a little. Okay. Because uh, a mixer has multiple settings. I've got a mic monitor sound level and a headphone monitor um, level. <laughs> Depending, it's kind of like having a, a remote where one level is too high and one level is too low. And I'm right in between there. So anyway, inside baseball. This is how the sausage is made, folks. So the reactions could be interpreted as predatory by the large semi-aquatic reptiles, but the researchers said it may also suggest maternal instinct in female crocodiles. Um, how do you test that, you know? Well, you can't exactly leave a, a real baby out there. Now, maybe what you could do, I know what you could do, but it's not quite the same because the smell is different. But couldn't you put a humanistic baby doll, somehow do the sound and see what the crocodile does with the doll? I suppose you can do anything. <laughs> I, yeah, it's not let's as find the, out. The same situation as having a real baby, but <laughs> Wait, <laughs> crazy cat lady said, use a baby and then said, the, the whole phrase, crazy cat lady, that you put in chat is, use a baby, think it over doll. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> I don't know if they're, <laughs> um, in my head, I'm like, I think the baby would probably like to think it over. <laughs> the baby is there, might want to think over what parents they've been stuck with. <laughs> is that a kind of, um, um, and maybe it is the baby think it over dolls are what they use in high schools really uh, oh okay that was now my get it. That, that was my very next question is that a type of doll like a, uh, yeah uh, that's like a think about do you really want to have a baby oh is that what that is uh <laughs> i finally got that <laughs> um so i I don't know if this gives gives it away. So I know an organization that buys um, little 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 fetuses um, to show to people, and uh, it's for their marketing. And um, <laughs> it's none of them are ever treated with respect by the people that receive them. Because they think that it's kind of a goofy thing to sit there and, and be using these little, um, like, uh, rubber molds of um, fetuses. So, I don't think that, I don't know what they would do with this, you know? I mean, they would sit there and go, um, this little think-it-over doll is sitting there making this weird gurgling sound. I don't think it's a think it over doll. The crocodile is sitting there pondering it, you know, are they going to be thinking, eh, maybe I should eat this think it over doll. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> okay. But well, I have to say, like, I don't think of crocodiles as being the most nurturing, but that might just be because of all the teeth that you see. Man, I, I think that they're just cold-hearted parents, cold-blooded parents. I think they're just misunderstood. <laughs> That's right. Go give one a hug. It'll it'll give you a hug back again with its teeth. Anybody listening, do not do that. <laughs> okay, don't give 
Don't give a crocodile a hug. Nile crocodiles can grow to about 20 feet and can weigh up to 1,650 pounds. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to stay. I, I respect nature too much. I'm just going to let somebody else mess with it. 200 people apparently die. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> so this next article is over in Hometown Daily. You can win $50,000 if you successfully hack a U.S. government satellite. Hack-A-Site is holding its fourth annual competition at the DEF CON conference uh, in Las Vegas. The contest is sponsored by the U.S. government and has prizes, has a prize of $50,000, and the competition is meant to help the government build up its resources against foreign hackers. Um, so it says here it's counter, it seems counterintuitive for the government to cheer on hackers uh, targeting its satellites, but that's just what's happening this weekend at Hack-A-Sat 4. Um, okay, so <laughs> they say it seems counterintuitive, but it's really not, not, not if you, um, so there's security through obscurity. Um, you can hide behind, uh, or I should say you, you can hide the, the technology behind the fear of prosecution or, um, masking it within, law that says that you can't touch the u.s government blah blah but foreign governments don't care about that kind of stuff foreign people interested in hacking and domestic people who haven't come to the conclusion yet that if you try and do anything domestically you're so close to the long arm of the law that you're going to be captured pretty damn quick particularly when it's a government agency involved um, but let, let's just go over to businessinsider.com and Sebastian Cahill is the author of this. Um, again, if I'm really quiet, I'm, I apologize. I, I'm monitoring my monitors and, um, I Who's definitely monitoring the monitors that monitor your monitors. That's right. Um, and I can tell that I'm a little quiet still, but, um, I'm trying not to blow my ears out. Um, because I reset everything today and this is the fruit of my woes here. Um, at any rate, the reason why, um, government agents and, and really anybody that's working on technology or software development, particularly in the security sector, embraces hacking, um, bug hunting, etc., is because the people that want to get in they don't care about your rules and regulations. They're going to get in um, or they're going to try and they're going to try until they end up in jail or um, depending on where they are, they'll never be you know, arrested because nobody cares that you're hacking the United States if you're outside of the United States or not a partner country. So um, DEF CON is one of the biggest um, security conferences that you can attend. Um, competition is meant to help the government build up its resources against foreign hackers. As long as you show how you did it and you're forthcoming with you um, breaking into the satellite, hey, it's not really an issue. You've been given permission for a certain location at a certain time. You can't go and do this out in the wild, folks. 
Um, if you do anything without authorization or agency, it is illegal. It's instantly a federal crime. You're crossing state lines and using uh, essentially uh, federally protected communication systems. And I'm not talking about just a satellite. I'm talking about any hacking. Um, you get it basically gets amplified um, quite a bit when you hack without authorization. Um, so don't do it until you're involved in a competition. Then it's legit. You're okay. So it says for the first time this year's iteration of the competition, we'll have hackers working to break on the Space Force satellite Moonlighter, a test satellite designed as a hacking sandbox that will allow advanced analysis of cybersecurity threats. Basically, it's a honeypot um, where they're going to be able to analyze all of the attempts to break into it um, and then make the system more robust. The first place team will win $50,000. The second place will get 30, 30,000, not $30. And um, the third place team will get 20. So not bad, not a, not a bad take, I suppose. Um, that said, people that would be able to break into a satellite are probably making somewhere to the tune of 150 to $200,000 a year. Um, but that's okay. Um, a little bit of work and a whole lot of feather in your cap goes a long way says we don't want to just be a big monolithic organization said Ber bernert to political uh, politico uh, we want to get as many people smartly involved and so the long-term impact uh, in that is to understand that you have to bake in cybersecurity. you don't just bolt it on afterwards which about 80 percent of the infrastructure that's in place right now has it just bolted on um, it says here five teams made it to the final round, including Poland. Uh, sorry, Poland can into space. Um, last year's winning team. Winners of this year's competition will be announced on Sunday. So this came. This news came out yesterday. So um, not a lot of notice if you wanted to suddenly participate. I guess. But well, you'd be there. You'd be at DefCon in Las Vegas. Um, and people have known about this for a while. Dun, dun, dun. So you're, I'm sure that there, there has to be somebody that's leveraging AI at this point, um, for something like this. Hmm. I don't know. It might be frowned upon by fellow hackers. Um, let's keep on moving through the articles. We soapboxed quite a bit on that alligator. Um, the uh, the next article's over. In the, I'm sorry. I said it was hard not to. Yeah, uh, the next article's over on the Mobile Channel. Nobody told us Jack. Whenever I hear somebody say something like Jack, um, I always think of Spaceballs, where they're combing the desert and they ask a bunch of people, and this one crew goes, "We ain't found." And they edited it for another version of it that says, "We ain't found Jack." Um, anyway, fire victims say no warnings to this Hawaii, um, blaze that I don't know if it's completely contained yet, but it says anger is growing over official response to the inferno that leveled a Hawaiian town, killing at least 89 people in the deadliest fire in the United States for over 100 years. Um, pretty shocking. What's really interesting is yet again, we're getting this news from RTE. 
I know. So. I love that uh, foreign countries have better coverage of our own news than insider country. Yeah, Ireland is kind of uh, early adopter here in delivering the news. Um, but I dig it. So it says, um, you know, when we found that there was a fire, when it was across the street from us, as a 63-year-old that told AFP in an evacuation center car park, the mountain behind us caught on fire and nobody told us jack. Yeah, that's kind of a shame. Wow, it just it just flattened an entire city or town. I I mean it really looks like a disaster movie. I mean, people are comparing this to a war zone, but this isn't this isn't a war zone. I mean, this is there are like walls standing and nothing else. You know, I mean maybe this war is, zone that was bombed or something this is like a war zone that was very selective in just burning everything down to the ground um you know this is just it's pretty amazing that like the cars are just sitting there uh, in all other regards it, it's peaceful <laughs> except for there's nothing standing but concrete walls and this actually, um, not to sit there and turn this into a messaging kind of a thing, but I'm, I am very interested in promoting 3D printed uh, cement, concrete housing, concrete buildings, because you can't burn down a concrete building, maybe the stuff inside, but nothing can catch fire from the outside and get inside. <laughs> And nothing exactly, can get from which the... means there would be some structures remaining here in this picture. Right. Because look, right here are walls. I bet you these are cinder block walls or concrete formed walls. Um, you know, it's just a shame that building code doesn't allow for it. Um, and the perception yeah. is that it's not necessarily the most attractive thing, but beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was reading something else about the fire, and one problem with the houses in that area is, of course, a lot of them were wooden, but a lot of them also had, like, a lattice. They were raised off the ground and had a lattice on the bottom. Right. So, not real great in the presence of fire. So, it kind of acted like, like a... I think it was like a tinderbox, and then, like, it funneled through there, it sounds like, and then also was very flammable right <sighs> pretty wild sorry i was checking something um so they said there were no emergency alerts no warning systems went off nothing so some people didn't even know that the fire uh, about the fire till it was too late i told a uh, 34 year old uh, kamuela Kawa Akoa um, told the AFP. And now everybody's going to need temporary housing. Um, some people apparently, like yesterday, I was told that um, they were living in a U-Haul, right? That's what we read, I think. Yeah, they That's were. Right. They yeah, rented U-Hauls. Amazing. Um, I don't know if there is any support system in place to um, facilitate recovery of this, but I'm sure that FEMA and the Hawaiian version of FEMA, um, it would. There's FEMA and Red Cross, and we've seen a lot of organizations. Um, gotcha. 
uh, mobilize. I just so weird. It's like the great Chicago fire, you know, just rolling through and wiping out everything in its tracks. It's a shame. Exactly. Well, we need to change our ways. This isn't, this isn't what people don't, aren't cognizant of until something like this happens. And then they go, oh yeah. Um, is that this is still, it's wood. It's still a living structure. It's still breathing. Um, it, it isn't really conducive to long-term stability. You have to keep on maintaining it, even to keep it in stasis so it doesn't fall apart, right? Uh, but again, you know, when something like this happens, people suddenly become really aware, oh, it's made out of wood and drywall is nothing. Drywall actually only abates the fire for a little bit and it's timed for a certain amount of time and then it will dry out completely and break away and then the inside framing lumber will catch on fire or it'll catch on fire inside um, and then act like um, basically an oven. Um, but you don't get that with modern other architectures now like uh, 3D printing of homes. Uh, it, it, it's just more difficult. You'll have to do it all over again. Um, and hopefully these people will be able to do that. Um, what a, what a bummer. It just looks so weird to see that. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. Uh, Maryland man steals ambulance at Arlington crash, leaving trail of hit and runs. Uh, this was actually described to me because I hadn't seen this news. <laughs> I was sitting there going, what? Wait, and did it end there? No. Went on. I mean, it was like, it was like uh, a Domino's run of chaos. So <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. A Maryland man stole an ambulance and left a trail of hit and runs on Saturday after he caused numerous crashes in a stolen vehicle earlier that afternoon. So uh, I'm going to see. Let's just go straight over to the source. That was weird. This refreshed as I went to click on the source. Lawrence Forza is the author. Um, this was posted earlier today. Um, okay, so... Virginia State Police said Daryl T. Caldwell, 30, was driving a stolen truck when he caused a two-vehicle crash on the eastbound lanes of I-66 and then fled the scene. Just one minute after they responded to the first crash, police responded to a separate multi-vehicle crash on the northbound lanes of I-395 in Arlington County caused by the same stolen truck. The state police said that Caldwell fled the second crash site on foot, just minutes later, the Virginia State Police said that they received reports of a third crash caused by Caldwell, who was now driving a separate truck, an Arlington County Fire Department ambulance, on its way to responding to the I-395 crash, stopped to tend to the drivers of the third crash, but police said Caldwell stole the ambulance and drove away in it once the medics got out. Police said they engaged in pursuit after Caldwell refused to stop the uh, the ambulance and once the ambulance came to a stop in the road and an officer got out of the patrol car Caldwell put the ambulance in reverse slamming the patrol car before fleeing the scene again Caldwell eventually wow. was taken into custody after he entered Washington DC and struck a, poli or a, a parked car on 14th Street Northwest and D Street Northwest on a corner 
um, of 14th and D. Um, during the pursuit of the ambulance, Caldwell struck multiple vehicles. Virginia State Police said they've accounted for and are investigating 13 hit-and-run crashes committed by the stolen ambulance and urged the public to report any incidents. <laughs> okay, wait. And that's not all of them, because remember, he didn't start out in the ambulance. <laughs> right. Yeah, there, people are going to be wondering what actually happened before this, right? Because it all started well, with a right. two-vehicle crash. We only know when the crash happened, but what transpired before then? And were there other crashes that weren't connected with this? Yeah, the guy's just... I think he's taking a run for Florida man here. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's what's really interesting is me of. <laughs> they referred to it as Maryland man. So I guess they. Well, that's why I thought of it like that. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Now, when you do it in Pennsylvania, it's Pennsylvania man. When you do it over in Kentucky, it's Kentucky man. Wow. Just pretty insane. Okay, let's keep on trucking. We're going to make this a mad dash through the news unless um, anybody says anything in chat and wants to talk about something. <clears throat> so this next article is in the Mobile Channel. NASA sending humans to an asteroid. SpaceX will get them there. You think that's the motto now? SpaceX will get you there. It's like Delta for space. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't <laughs> say how many light years it'll take, whether he'll ever return to Earth, etc. <laughs> Man. How many parts will drop off along the way? <laughs> yeah, I, I liked. I, I mean, made the the show's title "Touching Asteroids," but I was gonna say, "Are you going to ask for permission before touching this asteroid?" <sighs> See, I was never mind. I won't. <laughs> the The next article is over in uh, the Hill by Mark R. Whittington who's an opinion contributor. Um, I happened to turn on YouTube and switch over to a, a live launch within 12 seconds. So it's happening so frequently, so frequently that you can pretty much just turn on your TV and there's going to be a, a launch. Right. It's not quite like when we only saw NASA type launches. I mean, it, obviously they've gone up in frequency. Yeah, I, I dig this. I really love uh, the idea of a Gattaca kind of world where there's rockets that are launching constantly, like just in, in the in the movie Gattaca. I don't really like the dystopian nature of Gattaca, but I love the, the idea that there's constantly rockets, humans flying off into space to go and do something, you know, advance the species somewhere. Um, I, I wish we could get all of our ducks in a row here, but... Hey, uh, the next best thing is starting out there, too. Um, although I think that there's some serious issues there. At any rate, um, recently NASA developed a plan to send a crew of astronauts to an Earth-approaching asteroid called Prospects for a Future... Eh. Prospects for Future Human Spaceflight Missions to Near-Earth Asteroids. The plan has its origins in a speech delivered by President Obama at the Kennedy Space Center in 2010. So 12 years ago, this was discussed, um, which I guess in the grand scheme of, you know, society, 12 years ain't, ain't, ain't too bad, or 13 years, pardon me. 
Obama's remarks were meant to quell a firestorm he created when he canceled the Constellation program, the last attempts to go back to the moon. Uh, as a consolation prize, he proposed sending a crew of astronauts to an Earth-approaching asteroid before launching a crewed expedition to Mars. The new proposal, not yet funded, is an updated version of the Obama plan uh, using the SpaceX Starship instead of the Orion launched from a space launch system rocket. That might be because Orion seems to have a uh, leak like a sieve. Um, that old school technology is just failing uh, again and again. Whereas SpaceX uh, rockets seem to have their shit together. That, by the way, is a very technical term. So. Oh, I thought that was their new slogan. Uh, what? Let's. We see. have our shit together. Wow, the AI cusses. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the programming came from you, so. Hey, there you go. Um, so uh, the Obama proposal was not a serious one, according to this opinion writer. It quickly devolved into something called the Asteroid Redirect Mission, which envisioned diverting a small asteroid or maybe a boulder from an asteroid into lunar orbit, where it would be uh, visited by an Orion uh, by an Orion with a crew, or the Orion rocket with a crew. Uh, no one took the idea seriously. Well, we actually did that. We bumped an asteroid. Well, we diverted, <laughs> but we didn't have a manned mission uh, no. involved in that. No, no, no. You're right. Um, but, okay, so uh, but you even got the that impression. Part sounded ludicrous, right? Um, <laughs> I thought that there was going to be some. There's going to be a long-term bad event around that. <laughs> either, either it's going <laughs> right, to come back to haunt. What is it going to hit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've changed the direction of it uh, unnaturally. But then again, we're part of nature, so maybe it'll land on a planet somewhere and not decimate whatever life might have been forming there. I mean, this sounds like um, maybe like a Star Trek episode where it's like we diverted the asteroid and then we go forward in time 100 years and find out an entire planet was wiped out because yeah. of that. Or a thousand years and we wiped out a pre-warp oh, right, right. civilization, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we wiped out somebody else's dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly. Um, the idea of sending a SpaceX Starship to an Earth-approaching asteroid is far superior to the original Obama proposal, which, no, not really. I mean, yes, but no. It's just better technology. The idea is still the same. You're sending a Starship to <laughs> an asteroid with humans on it. Well, you're sending a a spaceship with humans on it to an asteroid. Let me get my grammar right. Starships can take 100 metric tons or more anywhere in the inner solar system. I almost want to just walk away from the opinion article. Um, a version of the rocket will land the first Americans on the moon since Apollo 17 in uh uh, 1972, Elon Musk dreams of using a fleet of starships to build his Mars settlement, which is true. Um, and all of this is true. Uh, uh, SpaceX rockets are pretty much the most advanced piece of rocketry that's out there right now. With, and, but what's making them so damn popular isn't their 
tech at SpaceX, but the fact that they're reusable, they're economically sound. Um, there are other more powerful rockets in and of themselves, but they're not even reusable. They're one and done. And hell, at this point, you can't even, I don't think you can even leave um, Earth without smashing into a, a little mini satellite from, uh, whatchamacallit, what's that? Starlink. Starlink, yeah. There's like over 3,000 mini CubeSats floating around out there. It's almost a shield of, oh, maybe that's why they're all out there. Maybe that's why Starlink was funded. Aliens. It's always aliens. That's the answer to everything. It is the answer to everything. Prepare to be probed, everybody. Anyway, um, so uh, the plan's authors justify the mission because Earth approaching asteroids could collide with Earth. Um, a large asteroid ended the era of dinosaurs when it hit the Earth about 63 million years ago. Studying Earth approaching asteroids up close will yield a better understanding of how these objects behave in case one should be detected on its way to Earth and need to be diverted. We could have probably done that by just putting a sensor on it and, and having more fidelity about what its trajectory is, angle of attack, rotation, speed, etc. You mean like an air tag? Yes. An Apple AirTag. That's exactly what we should put on there. <laughs> probably the size I of... I have to bring a, that up because we've been talking about those so much. <laughs> probably one the size of a Chinese surveillance balloon. But, and that's a unit of measure from my understanding, so... No, I thought the school bus was the unit school of measure. School buses are, yes. Um, but the international measure is a Chinese surveillance balloon. Um, which happens to be the domestic measurement is school buses. So it's three school buses. <laughs> I'm leaving. Uh, the next article's over in hometown daily police questioned over legality of Kansas newspaper raid. Computers and phones were seized during the raid is the little snippet, but there is a lot more to this folks. This thing is really interesting. Um, I don't know if the AI parsed this yet, um, but I actually, I, I had already known some of this. Um, John Hanna and Marjorie A. Beck with the AP put this article together. It's posted at abcnews.go.com. You can follow the link through hometown. What I haven't done, and I'll make up for it right now, we're already more than halfway through the show, but I'm going to put all of these articles into the chat. They'll end up in the show notes as well. Um, so you'll be able to parse it there as well. Um, after this show, if they're, uh, continue to, oh, I just refreshed that. Um, if there continue to be any audio problems, I will correct them. Um, but, uh, at least correct them for the, the podcast, but, um, I will fix the audio artifacts for, um, the show. And uh, finally, we're up to date with the uh, articles into the chat. So there you all go. Um, so this, um, a central Kansas police force sparked a firestorm by raiding a newspaper and the publisher's home. That's the full title, but it actually started out as the original title when our aggregator grabbed it, when my aggregator grabbed it. Uh, was police question over legality of Kansas newspaper raid. Uh, but then ABC News modified, 
updated the the title uh, to a central Kansas police force sparked a firestorm by raiding a newspaper and the publisher's home. So a lot of the hubbub about this actually is that there was this implication by a representative, a Republican representative, um, that this small central Kansas uh, newspaper, Marion, well, it says here several press freedom watchdogs condemned the Marion Police Department's actions as a blatant violation of the U.S. Constitution's protection for a free press. Um, they raided uh, the uh, newspaper's uh, owner, co-owner, and res house with their son um, or grandson in it. Um, and eventually the co-owner uh, on Saturday passed away and they're blaming the person um, passing away on the stress born from the raid. Um, and let me back up some a little bit here because some of the information Wait, isn't in They here. had a warrant or was this? Oh, it, it does say that. What's that? That they did have a search warrant. Sure. But um, the impetus of legitimate. the impetus of the well, legitimacy of having a search warrant isn't necessarily legitimate when the police force in the court system, the judicial system in the area is enabling the police system to enforce the request of a political partner to act on dot dot dot. So what ended up happening was the newspaper was considering publishing some information about, um, let me see if I can find the person here so that I can speak um, directly about it. Um, let's see, I'm trying to find it, folks. Anyway, um, where is it? Well, there was a dispute between the newspaper and a local restaurant owner, Carrie Newell. Well, so I think that's what started this whole. Well, well, we it of. says while my mayor saw Newell's complaints, which she said were untrue as prompting the raids. He also believes the newspaper's aggressive coverage of local politics and issues played a role. He said the newspaper was examining Cody's past work with the Kansas City, Missouri police as well. This type of stuff that, you know, that Vladimir Putin does, that third world dictators do, Meyer said during an interview in his office. This is Gestapo tactics from the world from World War Two. So. What they're saying is that they were investigating um, a representative who um, somehow was talking about their past. Um, what do you how do I want to say it? Their past interactions with police, including a DUI and something else. Um, and what's really interesting, let me see if I can find it in this article. Because every time I start talking about it, I find a little bit more about it. Um, so Newell said that he that she threw Meyer and the record uh, reporter out of the event for Republican U.S. Rep. Jake LaTurner 
um, the event at the request of others who were upset with the toxic newspaper on the town's main street. One storefront included a handmade support Marion uh, PD sign. They fully are the, uh, the person here. Newell said on a telephone interview, I fully believe that the intent was to do harm and merely tarnish my reputation. And I think that if it had left it at that, um, I don't think it would have blown up as big as, as it was. Um, Letourneur's office didn't remove, didn't respond. Newell said that she believes the newspaper violated the law to get her personal information as it checked on the status of her driver's license following a 2008 drunken driving conviction and other driving violations. They were going to do an article on that person and actually backed away because they couldn't verify how the, the person who had the information obtained it, if it was legal or not. Um, but instead of nothing happening because the article didn't actually run and the person actually admitted during the event that they had a DUI, um, somehow the police got a warrant and then prosecuted that warrant and took all of the computer equipment and electronics at the house and at the newspaper. Um, even though essentially no crime has been committed, there's been no violation. There's only the hint that there might have been something. Right. But the newspaper didn't publish a story because they had concerns. Right. So at least on the surface, they acted in the right. See, it eventually decided not to run a story because it wasn't sure the source who supplied it had obtained it legally. And so now the police force is doing exactly that, the Gestapo level action going into a newspaper to get who it was that might be saying something bad about somebody without it actually being said. So this isn't normal police action. This isn't normal government action. If somebody is going to say something like this, they verify it or they don't run it. That's what a newspaper does. If they publish something and it's slander or liable, depending on how it is presented, right? One is audio, one is written, one is spoken, one is written. Um, but they say that the, it was signed by a local judge list Newell as the victim of an alleged crime by the newspaper. When the newspaper asked for a copy of the probable cause affidavit required by law to issue a search warrant, the district court issued a signed statement saying no such affidavit was on file. So you can't tell me that this isn't something. So that's interesting. So, I mean, we can all imagine what might be in the statement to get the warrant since there is no statement right how was the warrant granted right i mean there ha there has to have been something so now i'm i'm sure that this will be something at some point and we're going to end up with going to be a, beyond the police department i think yeah the, this is this is a a constitutional affair <laughs> Yeah, I think somebody's going to be in some serious trouble or they're going to miraculously find, you know, the statement. Oh, it was misfiled or something. That's okay. Let's keep on trucking. 
Uh, the next article is over in the Mall Channel. India is planting laboratory, a tree planting laboratory for 200 years. And here are the results. Allowing forests to regenerate on their own has been championed as a strategy for reducing planet heating carbon on the atmosphere or in the atmosphere. Uh, when also boosting biodiversity, the benefits uh, ecosystems offer and even the fruit the fruitfulness of livelihoods. This is an interesting turn of phrase in the article. Um, this uh, fizz.org article uh, was um, written by, and I'm going to give it a try, Danapal Govindara Julu from The Conversation. Um, so I've heard that there are people that are in India that are running all over the place planting trees. There's actually one landowner that actually tried to stop people from planting trees in the desert. Um, and um, and uh, my understanding is that it's doing miraculous things in India. Um, it says, but efforts to increase global tree cover to limit climate change have skewed towards erecting uh, plantations of fast-growing trees. The reasons are obvious. Uh, planting trees can demonstrate results in a lot quicker than natural forest restoration. This is helpful if the objective is generating a lot of timber quickly or certifying carbon credits, which people and firms buy to supposedly offset their emissions. While plantations on farms and barren land can provide firewood and timber, easing the pressure on natural forests and so aiding their regeneration, ill-advised tree planting can unleash invasive species and even dispossess people of their land. For more than 200 years, India has experimented with tree plantations, offering important lessons about the consequences. So plantations in colonial era uh, India is one of the categories here, the East India Company, which um, for all accounts did some pretty horrendous things all over. <laughs> um, between 1857 and 1947, the crown ruled the country directly and turned its attention to the country's forests. Britain needed great quantities of timber to lay railway sleepers um, and uh, build ships in order to transport uh, the cotton, rubber, and tea it took from India. Oh, through the India Forest Indian Forest Act of 1865, forests with high-yielding timber trees such as teak, sal, and deodor, or deodar, um, became state property. So you you wonder why anybody would have ill feeling about Britain, right? If if you're well, from no, I don't. India. But... <laughs> right? What? You're... I don't wonder that. I mean, there's not much that's said that's in a positive light in modern times. Well, wait a minute. You, are you saying that there's that people have a problem with colonization? Uh, yes. Really? I am shocked to hear these things. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, meanwhile, plantations of uh, teak, a species well adapted to India's hot and humid climate and source of durable and uh, attractive timber, spread aggressively. Pristine grasslands and open shrub forests gave way to teak monocultures. Um, and, and this kind of continued. The, the basically uh, absconding, raising of the land in its natural state and, and then taking all of its resources away. 
um, I guess, fruit of the ownership of a, another country. Um, India has pledged to restore about 21 million hectares of forest by 2030 under the Bonn Challenge, a progress report released by the government of um, India and the International Union for Conservation of Nature in 2018 claimed around 10 million hectares was under restoration. So about halfway there. Um, a little a little bit late, I suppose, right? Because it started when? Mm, I don't oh, remember. We don't know because we didn't. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember because I actually uh, knew it at one point, but now I don't remember. Um, there's a article. Um, anyway, the um, it says sometimes these trees are planted in grasslands and other ecosystems where tree cover is naturally low. Um, the result is that the afforestation um, harms rural and indigenous people who depend on these ecosystems for grazing and produce, and the continued planting of exotic trees risk new invasive species in a similar way to wattle 200 years ago. Um, yeah, naturally. I mean, if you... Oh, 2011, sorry. Oh, gotcha. So they're a little bit early, actually. Um, yeah, they're more than halfway there, right? Well, well yes, I... but if we don't know if that's actually okay because this article brings some issues up with yeah. how they're planting. Because they want natural forest regeneration, and that's just not going to happen naturally because it's beyond the the state where enough can re be recovered in a timely manner. Um, and with climate change happening faster and faster, I'm thinking that you need some human uh, actions to interject in there and accelerate the natural the natural order of things, right. which is the natural forest. I mean, we don't have a hundred years to wait right. for natural forests. Should we be doing some of that as well? Probably, but I think right now we need some trees. Yeah. And then we can focus on maybe what kind of trees. Yeah. You can always reforest, you know, do, do the same thing that we do now, which is managed forestation. And you go in and you purge some trees, you plant the, the natural forest and it will grow back. And then you right, bow out. Then you've stabilized a little yeah. bit before you do that. Cause if you just did that and you had, clear land i mean think how many years it would take and we're at a tipping point on a lot of climate metrics yeah and the ai and i have actually witnessed again when we talk about things a lot of this is anecdotal but it's verified by other scientific efforts and the ai and i have actually witnessed forestation attempts where it was uh attempted and because it wasn't robustly defended, nature wiped it out. And then they had to recapitalize that area. Um, and then we witnessed it get wiped out partially. And then they bolstered the infrastructure to protect against it being wiped out. And ironically, the only place where the trees that were planted for this effort were actually very robust was because of runoff from humans planting their own personal crops near the trees that were being grown. Um, quite fascinating to watch in real time, and it's taken less than a decade to do it. Um, but now the trees are largely 
entrenched in to some degree. Right, but still have many years until they're providing cover, et cetera. Anything, yeah. Stabilize. They can still be wiped out with um, enough nature. So I think that we need a blended. This is uh, this opinion piece, this this observation piece uh, from the conversation. I think we need a blended um, response in trying to recover forests around the world because uh, nature isn't on its own. Nature has no, there's no mind there. So it only does, nature does what nature does. It survives, but it isn't wounded by not surviving. Humans are, you know, uh, living creatures, animals and whatnot humans in particular are very cognizant of what's happening animals just are nature are arguably you know maybe we don't speak their language and they've been talking to us all their existence but the reality is that humans are communicating with each other and watching landslides and gross horrendous floods and all kinds of natural disasters that are born from human actions either past or present so I see no problem with a blended response to this, which is help amplify nature so that nature can act naturally on its own at some later date. We can be very tactical about saving nature if we don't mind spending the money and getting arguably nothing in return. You know, there's no profit in this because you plant those trees and you leave them the hell alone. You don't go back and cut them down to make paper or pencils or whatever. Toothpicks. Whatever you're going to use the wood for. You don't. You can't. You have to leave it. Fast growing, let it grow. Um, and definitely try and use the, the domestic woods. Don't sit there and bring foreign woods in, even if they are faster growing. Um, unless you have a plan to remove those faster growing and plant domestic woods. Anyway, did you want to add anything else? I just thought this uh, article was interesting. I didn't know anything about India's tree planting efforts. Oh, I didn't yeah. know they were even trying to get to a certain percentage coverage. Um, but I, I think it's fascinating. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, I get that we need to do it the right way. And we need to not harm things in the process. But we have such a sense of urgency that... I don't want to lament that people are doing tree planting. We need more tree planting, not less. True. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to turn you up. You're a little bit quiet, too. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how this audio turns out today. Let's keep on hustling through. Uh, the next article is over in Omtown Daily. College professors are going back to paper exams and handwritten essays to fight students using chat GPT. Uh, this, I don't know, this is one of those things where, um, usually a college professor, where is that police article, by the way? There it is, right? Okay. I just need to grab that article right there and throw it into chat. This article about, um, college professors going back to paper exams and handwritten essays, uh, I don't know. To me, it, it just seems like um, it, 
any professor worth worth their weight if they're sitting there parsing articles they can tell the difference between an, a chat gpt um article exam handwritten essay uh, or i should say essay or exam wherever it is that they're turning in material um and i'll put it to you this way if anybody were to send me um if anybody were to send me a paper and claim that it's theirs and they wrote it with chat gpt the way that you read these papers is you read the very first paragraph you read their conclusions and you start clicking on their sources <laughs> and that right there is where chat gpt is going to implode um, because it spits out bs and the conclusions are going to be bs and the lead into the paper is going to be bs and it's going to be written in a way where the author and that student do not even come close to being they don't speak in that same way um and and that's when a professor reading it and knowing about their students or an a, a ta in the class right because some schools have a massive student footprint and they have a whole bunch of tas the the, the tas um, need to know how to read the paper fast and know that the students just don't write like that and a ta is definitely going to know because they were a student well they are a student right now but a professor typically has years and years of experience crazy cat lady says how when so many classes are still 100 virtual yeah yeah i don't you know, that's uh, a great point. I didn't even think about it from that standpoint. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of them that are are um, hybrid is what it's referred to as. They some of the time is spent, you know, in, back in the classroom, and that's when you do your exams. Or even in fully online classes, they demand that you come in and take a final or some. Uh, gatekeeper type of uh, assessment uh, on the premises um, which it, it's all just it's all about um, not trusting your student body um, and if people are going to cheat they're going to cheat in miraculous ways I, I always tell this story about how I was taking an exam um and there was a person that was three seats away from me in an empty exam room and sweating profusely and and taking really deep breaths like they were coping with a, a panic attack uh and then i watched them look at crib sheets um that they had uh under their clothing <laughs> and i'm sitting there taking my exam and i caught this person um and uh, I took my exam and I started to leave. And as I'm about to say something to the exam uh, monitors, uh, they go, yeah, we already know <laughs> that the person was cheating. Um, and eventually, wow. yeah, I don't know what the ramifications were because I left. And, it's, you know, I have no dog in that hunt. But Crazy Cat Lady says one of their daughters uh, this semester is 100% virtual and it's at her own pace. Yeah, that's actually, depending on 
um, what level the school is um, in terms of um, I, like I, I don't know if your daughter is in high school or college or like two year or four year um, but uh, that's actually one of the things that academia is starting to pursue is that it's that you can you get everything that you need to complete the class um, and you can just go and um, so oh, okay she's in her second year at a four-year college yeah so it's really interesting nowadays because um, <laughs> college is basically this huge open door and uh, it you just you get all of the resources uh, in many schools you put your name on the paper and you get a 60 uh, grade amp uh, uh, which grade inflation is is very real um, and uh, what's really harsh about that crazy cat lady is at some point in that four-year run they're going to run up against a gatekeeper professor and that gatekeeper professor is going to slam the door on them so hard it's going to catch them off guard and completely suck the wind out of their sails because they think i'm getting a's all over this place you know why is this one tool of a professor acting this way it's because they're an activist professor and at a four-year you run up against the possibility of tenure wherein they can make a statement like that they can be activist and they will not budge um and an advisor and you'll hear uh, just ask your daughter have you heard the phrase are you willing to die on that hill uh, because i heard it in my college career when i ran up against an activist professor um and and i was mad because i had a i got a b on that that paper and i was like that is not a b paper um and uh the the person said are you are you ready to die on this hill yeah <laughs> i'll get a b yeah oh crazy cat lady said the uh, daughter had one of those last year yeah i'm surprised it's that early um it seems like they want to get you in really deep man you're, you're like third year and and uh that's when or your capstone the fourth year you're on your very last class and that gatekeeper is sitting there slamming the door on you um best of luck it's expensive to pursue college and um, all it takes is one real real bad professor to ruin your day um so going back to this article about chat gpt there is handwriting essays and and doing paper exams is nothing more than regressive policy in an effort to try and mandate butts in seats um, so that you can justify having millions of dollars in real estate um, and not provide the tools that students need to succeed regardless of you know the capital improvements of the campus now that that's also to say that chat gpt is a massive liar <laughs> it says bs all the time um crazy cat lady also says that uh, her third and fourth year is going to be mostly internship so um all the best i hope that she loves the domain that she's going into internships um are almost always the direct leads into a career um 
And if she shines in the internship, she's got a job there. So best of luck. Um, the, um, the, the whole chat GPT, I think the way to win with chat GPT is to drive home the marketing that chat GPT lies. It lies like it, it like a soulless liar would lie. It has no soul. It, it doesn't feel pain. It has no anima. It has nothing to it. So it just spews out garbage. So if you tell the students that and they actually take it to heart, they're going to stop using it. I mean, the ones that were inclined to use it to begin with. Correct. You know, that, that might be the way to go. Yeah, flat out tell the students, if you use ChatGPT, professors will be able to tell and you'll get a zero and be brought before the department chair. You'll have to justify why you use ChatGPT. We can tell because, you know, that's what they're going to say. We can tell because uh, the citations are wrong and the, the in-text citations say, are wrong. I have a requirement for a citation or two and that'll be enough to weed it out. Every college level paper requires citations. Without well, a citation, right. it's plagiarism. Just the lack, if you don't include citations in a references page, it's plagiarism, straight up. And you'll be brought before, why do I know that? Because I've witnessed it. I mean, I was a college student. I know people who cheated and they were summarily dismissed from the program. Crazy Cat Lady says, yeah, the reason they do the internships is to hopefully uh, get a job. I think they have an 89% higher rate from the in internships. Yeah, that's pretty typical. Wow, yeah, that's pretty high. Um, uh, well, I mean, for internships, it's it's pretty typical. You know, particularly in, in certain domains, it, that would be high. Um, but uh, I, it's not unheard of that a good internship program has a good placement rate. So, because they don't mess around, you know, you don't get into an internship unless you show some sign of life, <laughs> you know, like you've got legs for that program. You're going to be a success um, in the internship. The college won't even really, it'll evaluate you and the employer, the potential internship personnel on the uh, employment side evaluates you. Um, you basically apply for the internship and then the internship is the long-term um, interview. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. That's awesome. Huh? No. Well, I won't ask questions. Um, sorry. So switching to a uh, paper and handwritten essays is just a non-starter. All it does is, hobble the student. Um, it doesn't build any bridge. It doesn't uh, cross a technology divide. It, it doesn't allow a student to have a life um, and still get their schooling done. Um, it, it just doesn't. Uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT is advancing every day. The chatbot achieved the highest score in an AP biology exam and passed a freshman year at Harvard with a 3.34 GPA. Um, but this is based on it answering rote memorization. And because it has the world's knowledge at its fingertips, of course, it's going to get the highest biology exam and get a massive Harvard. Uh, right. 
I mean, I wonder if it had to write an opinion paper or something, if it would fare as well. I'm thinking no. I guarantee I you no. Professors could list um, if they have any class that requires like facts, like a history class or something, they need to include something that's from very recent times because we right. know that would weed out chat GPT because it doesn't even go up to a certain year. Yep. Uh, and I know from my academics that it's not unheard of that there's a framework that all of your reference material has to be within the last year, depending on what the domain is, it's six months, um, particularly technology. Uh, it advances so fast that you have to be ultra current. Um, so I, I just don't buy into this. I think that it's kind of a, I think it's kind of lazy to just switch to paper exams and handwritten essays. Well, and it's not all about the students, but what kind of message does this send to the students, right? Like, we don't trust anybody. Yeah, you're the criminal before. What the, yeah. But what about the person who's actually doing their own work? Right. Yep. Yep. And these can't be fourth-year college students because none of them would... Well, I mean, she's kind of dressed in sweats, so yeah, maybe she's fourth-year. <laughs> Sorry. It's just a joke. All right, let's keep going. Otherwise, I'll be here all day. I think that's staged. <laughs> I'm sure all it of is. the students look like they were too dressed up for class. Yeah, true. Uh, the next article is over in the Continuity Report. Star Trek's uh, new planet makes strange new worlds more like the original series. This article contains spoilers for the season finale. Um, but at any rate... Uh, good night, crazy cat lady. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Hope everything's going well for you. Um, Mark Donaldson over at Screen Rant put this article together. Strange New Worlds Parnassus Beta is the latest Star Trek planet to be based on a recognizably 20th century location, making the Gorn attack scarier. Eh, not really. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about you. It didn't make it scary. Um, it made it really cool that they actually used uh, high resolution modeling and maybe practical models for some of it. Um, some of the Gorn stuff. What I didn't really like about this last episode is that they just fired off. Uh, it isn't typical for the original series to just start blasting, but that's exactly what they did. Um, I also thought that it was one of the goofiest elements. First off, let me back up a little bit because we're scrolling through this article. The summary is Star Trek Strange New World season finale features a colony planet called Parnassus Beta that pays homage to the themed world seen in the original series, adding a similar or sorry, a familiar element to the new show. Nowadays, that would be anything, you know, any of the Star Trek shows are using real world you know not going off to a desert somewhere to film oh right right um but it's something that is approachable um the choice of parnassus beta's design as a 21st century american midwest town reflects the founder's desire to break away from the advanced technology of the 23rd century except that it was more like a western town with high-tech stuff it wasn't 21st century to me it didn't look 21st century to me Maybe I stopped paying attention. 
The presence of uh, themed planets in the Star Trek universe can be attributed to a budget constraint, availability of props, costumes, but it also allows for recognizable and relatable settings for future episodes of Strange New Worlds. I really dig Star Rant. Uh, um, sorry, Screen Rants. Um, Star Trek Rant. I like how they frame things. Um, but... So Parnassus Beta was a, a great set. Um, very limited in how you initially saw it. It was basically just one quarter of um, what may might have been um, a little area around a park. You know, it, it wasn't that large of um, a, a set, at least, you know, in the grand scheme of Star Trek. Um, but the ship coming down was um independence day level or um v there was a movie or not a movie there was a television show called v back in the day yo where the 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 ships came down and it was like this you know um and all of this where they descend out of the sky really slow and looming and it's like nature is bending to the whim of these ships. Uh, that was freaking amazing. Loved it. Then some goofy thing transpires about what they're going to take over. The Gorn puts up a, a line <laughs> that says that this planet is ours. Except that it cuts a line between the orbit of that planet and the sun. So for 50% of the time that that planet is in orbit around the sun, it's free for everybody to come and hang out at, but eventually it'll come back around into the orbit that's under Gorn control. And you all have to better vacate the, the okay, planet. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and, and, uh, I'll have to go back and show the AI what I'm talking about because when I saw it, I didn't say anything. It was really late. And I was like, okay, that's just kind of goofy. And I didn't want to steal the thunder from the show because it was really, uh, really awesome. Um, and, and luckily, um, it, it wasn't really a, a, a hot point for discussion. Um, but I, I love the episode. It's a lot of fun. It it was just enough down to earth and high tech to keep it relatable, like the article says. Um, it does make me think back to the original series where it was more practical effects and, and more grounded uh, to a planet and not just perpetually in space like the Voyager series or right, Deep Space Nine. Or um, even Discovery is a lot. Discovery. Uh, Picard is one where it came down to Earth, well, planets periodically and, and grounded it a little bit. And it made it much more relatable and fun. Um, then it kind of went screwy. But uh, go and check out this article. Um, I think that you'll dig this. Uh, let me throw this into chat. Dump. And this, and then we'll move on to the next article. We've got three more uh, to go through. This next one. <coughs> sorry. 
Sorry about the coughing, folks. This one's over. This one's over in Constructagon. Show about uh, 3D printing. 3D printing webinar and event roundup, August 13th, 2023. I'm just going to go straight on over to it because it's from 3dprint.com, um, a relatively new addition to our aggregation efforts. Um, so they say they, uh, that they're, they hope, let me see if there's a name. Sarah Saunders is the person that put this article together at 3dprint.com. Um, I hope your calendar is clear because there are lots of 3D printing webinars and events to attend this week. America Makes will hold its MMX event, and Mark Forge <clears throat> has multiple open houses while both Stratasys and Velo 3D continue the, their tours. One moment. So it looks like the webinars are going to cover automated resin removal, 3D printed insoles, and some other topics. Yeah, even dental 3D printing, which I think is amazing. Uh, dental 3D printing is typically um, either um, metal sintering, where they actually make metal frameworks for um, false teeth, um, or ceramic printing, which is a whole other ball game as well. And cutting edge stuff. Um, they have a bunch of articles. Uh, I won't even be able to go through them all, um, but these aren't your typical home FDM printers. Um, they're high-end commercial, you know, 50,000 plus dollar printers <clears throat> and um, used for industrial purposes um, more than your average everyday. Form Labs is probably going to be the cheapest one there. And I, I can't imagine how much this is going to cost. <clears throat> this is easily a $10,000 printer. Um, and the Stratasys one is probably going to be ceramic. I'm trying to see if that's what they talk about. Mm, no, they don't really say what the material is. But it might be because it says like multi-material printing. Yeah. Pardon me one more. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, well, let me keep moving through all of this. Um, we've got two more articles, folks. Uh, this next article is over in Gnometown Daily. A Volkswagen plant in Germany sends off staff on their big summer break with a chorus of trumpets, trombones, and drums. Because in Germany, and maybe a few other places, they allow you to just walk away. Walk away for three weeks. I don't even understand that possibility. That's so contrary to how things are in the U.S. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. There was also another article today in hometown about how, uh, more than one, but basically baby boomers go away and enjoy their vacation. And I think it was Generation Z like feels extreme guilt and they feel the need to continue to work while on vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw that article too. Um, I think it's correct. <laughs> um, so Volkswagen closes its Wolfsburg factory for three weeks every summer. When workers go on vacation, the automaker gives employees a send off with an orchestra and a meal. Bloomberg reported, unlike the U S it's common in European countries to take a long summer vacation. <clears throat> three weeks for the German plant. 
Um, the Wolfsburg plant also hands its employees a traditional German dish called currywurst. Uh, Wurst. Um, a sausage with curry sauce. And uh, it's delicious, by the way. Um, Geoda Mann over at businessinsider.com put the article together. And it says, um, yeah, it kind of drives home the point that unlike in the U.S., it's common in European countries to take a long summer vacation. Um, you know, I've actually mentioned this. I've had this discussion with uh, business owners uh, and people in various business industries, um, consultants and, and analysts and stuff like that. And um, every once in a while, like other thing, other times people basically say, well, I've got a business to run. I want it to run all the time. Um, but every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, well, uh, here in the U.S., we don't do that. And we've done a lot in our very young history. Um, and it's usually uh, historically aware business academics that talk like that. Um, because we've done a tremendous amount of growth in a very short time. And then I like to say, well, we also used slave labor. Um, and people really don't like hearing that. Um, and we have very little, uh, a very weak work-life balance from young age all the way up to middle age, um, where it's not unheard of to work multiple careers, 20 years there, then retire at a company and go another 20 years and retire from that company. And at 65, maybe have enough money saved up to uh, retire. Um, it's very rare that people retire at 40. Um, but you work 40 hours a week or more, etc. Um, the Wolfsburg plant, uh, instead of uh, the way that we do it, says, hey, here you go. Three weeks. We'll see you later. Um, I've had this interaction because I know people in Germany um, they don't quite get why Americans don't get, you know, a, a, a long break. Um, but hey, it is what it is. And not everybody in Germany takes that break, by the way. <clears throat> About 22,000 workers at the Wolfsburg factory received a vacation between July 17th and August 4th this year. Um, during that time, business in the town slows, but it puts on art ex exhibitions, concerts, music festivals at the local Audiostadt Museum. Um, and, uh, well, that's what Bloomberg reported. It's common for workers in some European countries, such as France, Sweden, and Italy, to take long summer vacations, and sometimes for an entire month. Um, yeah, sometimes actually longer than that. Uh, it's a way to recommit to yourself and then return energized to the workforce. Okay, wait, you have to read the European and American out of offices. Oh, okay, so it, it says in this article, um, European out of offices, the outgoing message says, I'm away camping for the summer, email again in September. American out of offices, I've left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell phone anytime. 
That is 100% accurate. Uh, Employees in France are federally mandated to take main leave, and many offices and shops close for the big holidays. Or Le Le Grande's vacancies, I guess? Vacances? Le Grand Vacances. Oh, really? Well, the AI has a large language model. Swedish workers can also take up to four consecutive weeks of paid holiday in most industries during the summer. So there, folks, look. (laughs) We really do have a sucky work-life balance, and we've hero-worshipped it and embraced it. Um, And you won't even care until you're later in life where you start appreciating uh, work-life balance uh, where you want to spend time not just on weekends, but actually just by yourself, not thinking and not being forced to think about work and do work until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. At some point it catches up to you and you start finding out what your, <laughs> your true uh, needs are. But until then, y'all just keep on... Uh, you know, fighting under the table. It's okay. It's okay. You'll be fine. As people have told me in countless interactions, because yeah, I, like I said, you know, I, I do this every day. I've been doing this every day for 10 years formally, 20 years informally. I always hear somebody, uh, Every couple of weeks say that they can win the game and I hate to break it to you. It's not a game. Um, and you're not even close to winning the game. Maybe what you think is the game, but anyway, uh, this last article is over in the mobile channel. Italy gets back 266 antiquities from New York seizures after a uh, collector approaches Houston museum, <clears throat> Ill- uh, Italy illustrate. Italy celebrated the return Friday of 266 antiquities from the United States, including Etruscan vases, I think at this age they're called vases, and uh, ancient Roman coins and mosaics worth tens of millions of euros and or dollars, you might as well say, uh, that were looted and sold to U.S. museums and private collectors. The returned items include artifacts recently seized in New York from a storage unit belonging to British antiquities dealer Robin Sims, which is entirely Robin Sims, not Robert, Robin Sims. That is a British antiquities dealer name if I ever heard one. This is like (laughs) MCU level British antiquities. This is 007 James Bond bad guy kind of. Robin Sims. You're right, though. <laughs> I bet you when they arrested him, he was petting a cat. Most definitely. One of those hairless cats, the naked mole rat cats. I want one of those so bad. <clears throat> anyway, um, in addition, the hall, I don't know if they were arrested. They were, but the antiquities were seized from that dealer. In addition, the hall that arrived uh, in Rome included 65 objects that had been offered by a collector to Houston's Menil collection, but were declined. 
Um, interesting why they were declined. Probably because of the provenance. They couldn't tell what the provenance was. And so it was a little bit, eh, if it's too good to be true, it, it's too good to be true. So this is from uh, The Hill and the Associated Press. And let's see if there's anything in here. Oh, you know what? This is related directly to that other article that we were talking about last week. Oh, um, okay. Because uh, it says while uh, the Carabinieri uh, said the works had been part of the Menil collection, the museum said they never were. The museum said a collector approached the museum in 2022 about making a gift of the artifacts, but the museum curator directed the collector to the Italian culture minister who alerted the museum that Italy was claiming the objects. The Manil collection declined these works from the collector and they have never been part of the museum's collection. Spokesperson Tommy Napier said in a, or Napier, um, said in a statement late Friday to the Associated Press. So they've been on yeah, the hunt. I didn't realize this was connected. Yeah, when I saw it, I kind of thought that it was. Um, but hearing that phrase right there, um, the art unit of Italy's Carabinieri uh, paramilitary police said the owner of the collection spontaneously gave back the items after investigators determined that they'd come from clandestine excavations of archaeological sites, according to a Carabinieri man i have to slow down my speech just to say that every time um statement i guess if i say it often enough it, it'll become second nature um anyway yeah they they've been hunting which is fascinating um what is the name of that show where the guy is kind of the con artist long car not con artist um is he from is Italy it the or art France? con artist yeah uh it's white collar lupin oh you're thinking of another one there's also white collar but okay lupin yeah yes um this just screams L lupin um which i thought was a, a great fun show um to watch i don't know it what is the coming back there's oh, okay. a season three that we're waiting on i think it got delayed because of the pandemic gotcha um and it comes back in october i think Oh, great. Fun show. Um, go and check it out. We'll probably end up talking about it because of, well, just news and the continuity report. Um, but that's it, folks. Um, Italy got back its 266 pieces. What I am well, really fantastic, but I, it's kind of surprising. Um, the, the thing that I really want and I've actually kind of been, I think I could probably fast track this fast, uh, you know, if I were to do something more about it. But anyway, I'm being kind of space cadet about this. What I want is more museums and VR um, because I can't go to Italy, uh, you know, to to tromp around in a museum. Um but in VR, I can get close to items and actually hold items and look at them in great detail from a distance. And I know that there's great expense and it doesn't bring money into Italy by, you know, visitors, uh, tourists coming to the museum. But I want to be able to pick those up and look at them and, and examine them as they are and appreciate them 
uh, I can appreciate them in this picture, but I would really like high resolution, uh, ultra realistic um, digital representations of all of the goods from museums. And, and I would easily pay the price that it would cost domestically for me to go into a museum. Um, but this stuff is lost to the public forever because there's so much friction to actually being able to go and see it. And I don't think that, I don't think that antiquities from around the world should be locked down in a random country because the, the randomness of it is that a society built up there, but a person in Italy is no different than a person in the United States. Um, except for the language and geographical, uh, political, geopolitical boundaries that are arbitrarily put up because somebody said that they want this waterway and resource. That's really what a, a massive contention is. We have this big conflict about who owns what, but we're, where we should be able to agree is all of this stuff is built off of our prehistory. Nobody directly made this stuff that's still alive. So I think everybody should be able to appreciate it. And the only way really nowadays to appreciate it is to scan it high resolution, cross that digital divide, give somebody the ability to look at it in VR just to appreciate it. Um, because there's going to be millions of people that will will cheerlead for this stuff to stay um, and protect it. People will donate more, et cetera, the more that people find out about it. Um, that's just me, though. I mean, and it's just one little discussion about this. There's so much more to talk about regarding this particular thing. Um, and I've, I'm a big proponent of this to the point where um, I've been working with somebody very slowly about bringing uh, forward a digital museum um, of sorts so it'll be it would be neat if it actually comes to fruition but it's expensive and and you need uh, subject matter experts um, at any rate uh, that brings us to the end of hometown daily and uh, we always refresh this page mm. and uh Got a whole bunch of articles. Wow, a Windows 11 update kills Cortana. Really? That's fascinating. Might have to have that for tomorrow's show. Um, Chances are you haven't used AI to plan a vacation. That's about to change. Uh, somebody did. There was yeah, an article. Yeah, it was kind of a, a, an experiment on that. We featured that several yeah. months ago. Yeah, we could probably revisit that. Um, but we've got 12 articles that we have to filter, so I'm not sure if we will all include all, everything that you see on the front page. That's for sure. Um, I'm watching some... Space industry is starting a green revolution. <laughs> all right. That'll be interesting to see how they're going to deal with jet engines, rocket engines just spewing all kinds of carbon. Huh. Fascinating. Um, don't want to talk about that yet. 
Um, student opportunities around abound at TechCrunch Disrupt 2023. That's been around for like maybe 20 years, TechCrunch Disrupt. It's been around quite a while. Pretty cool stuff. Lots of news out there. At any rate, that's it for today, folks. Uh, again, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that tried to keep me out of trouble again. <laughs> you can't just wave. Uh, yes, I know, but I can wave at you. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, you're cascading strange characters, and I can, I can uh, decrypt them, but nobody sees them. That is true. Well, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True and story. maybe I'll do a wave with the visualizer tomorrow. Oh, boy. What is that going to look like? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye, everybody.